What is up everyone? It is Quinn here and I have a really exciting one for you guys today. Over the next week or so, I'm going to be going through my positional rankings at every position. So running back, wide receiver, quarterback, and tight end. Today, we're going to be focusing in on the top 24 running backs. So going through the top 24 and then also splitting these guys up into tiers. As always, I want to know what you guys think down below in the comment section. I feel like this is a really interesting year for the running back position, especially when we're looking at like the mid to back end RB1s. I feel like there's a really strong, like really large tier three, at least in my rankings. And then I also think once we're getting into like the back end of the RB2s, then I feel like there's some guys who may have been left off the list that people think should be in there. Um, some guys may be thrown in that people think should be out. But I also feel like that section of the rankings is also very interesting. And I do think there's going to be a lot of variance in how people are viewing those running backs. Um, if you enjoy the content, hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. Like I said, I'm going to be putting out the rest of my rankings you know, over the next week or so. I also want to let you guys know that these rankings are going to be more catered for a PPR and half point PPR scoring. So those are kind of like the format I'm looking out for these rankings. I still think they're useful if you play in standard. Um, you know, just kind of adjust, obviously, for the guys who are catching passes, dock those dudes a little bit. But let's jump into the rankings. We're going to start it off at the top in tier one. Ended up going with my number one running back as Christian McCaffrey. And I feel like there are kind of two different sets of splits that we want to look at here. I know I went through these in my, uh, I think it was like first round running back video, but we're just going to run through those again. So we have the splits with Christian McCaffrey when he was on the Panthers and then the splits when he went to the 49ers. So we have six games with the Panthers, 10 games with the 49ers. I didn't include that like Thursday night game right after he got traded. I don't even think he cracked like 30% of the snaps. So just not like a realistic game from Christian McCaffrey. But we can see that in pretty much every category except for targets, uh, Christian McCaffrey was far better with the 49ers. Jumps from 19.7 PPR points per game all the way up to 23. Saw uh, more rush attempts per game. Was more efficient both on the ground and through the air. And then also a big difference in the touchdown numbers was only scoring 0.5 touchdowns per game with the Panthers. That goes up to a full touchdown per game with the 49ers. So good to see there, obviously, because he's going to be on the 49ers heading into the season. But there were some not so great splits in the regular season when we're looking at games with Elijah Mitchell and then without Elijah Mitchell. So in the games where Elijah Mitchell was not playing, we have six of those out of the 10. Christian McCaffrey absolutely dominated, averaged 28.2 PPR points per game, huge workload, over 18 carries a game, almost seven targets, and then scoring 1.3 touchdowns per game. Now on the other side, when we're looking at games with Elijah Mitchell, the numbers were not so hot. Only 15.3 PPR points per game, just barely got over 10 rush attempts per game, five and a half targets, and then only half a touchdown per game in those four now, a four-game sample size is pretty small, so I'm not like, oh my gosh, Christian McCaffrey is going to be terrible when Elijah Mitchell's on the field. That's not what I'm thinking here. I am 100% confident that Christian McCaffrey is going to outproduce that four-game split we saw last year with Elijah Mitchell. There's just no way you invest that much into Christian McCaffrey. We know how talented he is, and then you're only going to give him you know, 10 rush attempts, six targets. It's just not going to happen. But I do think there's a possibility that there are going to be some frustrating games for Christian McCaffrey where maybe the 49ers go up early. They don't want to completely burn out his workload. So they start feeding Elijah Mitchell some carries. Maybe he gets a goal line opportunity here or there. So I don't know if this is going to be like unleashed full on workhorse Christian McCaffrey. If we do get that, 
I mean, we could be looking at another season where he's pushing close to 30 points per game. So I do think that ceiling is there, but I feel like a more realistic ceiling is probably between like 20 to 23 points per game. If we didn't have Elijah Mitchell in the picture, I think Christian McCaffrey would be like my only tier one running back. Um, But just because we do have some competition in that backfield, I'm going to have two other guys here behind him in tier one. And the next guy here, the running back two, is going to be Bijan Robinson. And I understand that some of you guys out there probably really are not going to like the uncertainty of drafting a rookie running back, especially over some like proven options like an Austin Eckler, Jonathan Taylor, Saquon Barkley. For me here, the reason I'm willing to put Bijan Robinson here up at number two is I don't feel like I'm passing on like a nuclear ceiling from any other running back. Like I don't know if we're going to see an Austin Eckler. Saquon JT season where they're putting up 24, 25 points per game. So I feel like Bijan's ceiling is like right in the mix as some of those other guys. Even an Austin Eckler who had back to back really strong seasons with big touchdown numbers, put up 21.5 and 21.9 points per game. Like I do think that type of production is in range for Bijan Robinson here in his rookie season. And when we're looking at some of the recent running backs who have been picked in the uh, top 10, the results are honestly really solid. So obviously we had Bijan Robinson pick eight this year. We don't know what his uh, production is going to be. But before Bijan, the most recent top 10 running back pick was Saquon Barkley in 2018. He averaged 24.1 PPR points per game, which was tied for second uh, in points per game that season. If that was last year, he would have been the uh, clear cut RB1. So Saquon, you know, kind of a huge plus in drafting rookie running backs. Then we had Leonard Fournette, who went at pick four in 2017. He averaged 17.7 points per game, which was seventh. So still really strong production, mid-tier running back one. Like a lot of these top running backs, it's tough if you draft someone at two for them to fully pay off, right? Because for them to fully pay off, they have to be a top two running back in the NFL. If Bijan is RB3, RB4, RB5, you're still going to feel solid in terms of you know the investment in drafting him. We also had Christian McCaffrey from that same class who was uh, picked eighth, averaged 14.3 points per game, tied for 12th uh, that season. I feel like Christian McCaffrey is probably more comparable to Jameer Gibbs because he was stepping into sort of a committee. No one was expecting Christian McCaffrey to be a workhorse. His uh, rookie season. Then we have Ezekiel Elliott picked fourth in 2016, averaged 21.7 points per game, third that season. So another high end finish. And then we had Todd Gurley in uh, 2015, picked 10, averaged 16 points per game. That season was weird because he was fifth in points per game, but I think there were like four or five running backs that were ahead of him that just got injured and didn't play a ton of games. So, you know, maybe not fifth a little bit later on if those other dudes stayed healthy. But as we can see, we do have some high-end finishers, Saquon, Zeke, even Gurley, who was fifth in points per game, and even Fournette at 17.7 points per game. That's going to be in range for like RB4 through six, most likely. So I think these rookies have proved they can produce at a high level. The Falcons, I think, is a great landing spot. They led the NFL in rush attempts per game last season. So we know that Bijan is set to shoulder a very strong workload on the ground. He's also a strong pass catcher, lined up you know, to uh, contribute in that role. And I'm just not concerned about Tyler Algier. I know there are going to be some people out there, you know, Algier was so good last season, he's going to cut into Bijan's workload. And Algier was impressive. Like, I'm not going to deny that, but I'm sorry. Like, you just don't go out and draft a running back at pick eight and then put him in a committee with the dude you drafted on day three last year. 
it would just make very, very little sense. I think Bijan Robinson is, you know, pretty much better everywhere in comparison to Tyler Algier. And that's why he is going to be my running back too. Now, my final tier one running back is going to be Austin Eckler. He's my RB3 overall. And like I mentioned earlier, uh, Austin Eckler has been really solid over the last two seasons. Not just solid, like very, very great production. And I would honestly expect uh, Eckler's 2023 season to probably look similar to what he did in 2021. Most likely less receiving volume, but a lot more efficiency as a pass catcher. When we look back at last season, Eckler was pretty much force-fed targets due to the injuries to Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Like there were stretches of the season where Austin Eckler was just like the best pass catcher on the team and the wide receiver room was just struggling. If we look at games uh, with both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams healthy compared to games without uh, one of them. We can see 13 games without one of them, 8.3 targets per game, almost a 20% target share. Then we uh, swap to games where they were healthy, both playing together, only four games, but 4.8 targets per game, 12.5% target share. Even though I do think that receiving work is going to dip from last season, probably somewhere in between those splits, but I don't think he's going to be threatening for a 20% target share. This is probably going to be the uh, best Chargers offense we've seen, at least around Justin Herbert. I think Eckler is going to be able to improve on his efficiency while also kind of maintaining that touchdown upside that he showcased over the last two seasons. Now we are going to be jumping into my second tier, my running back four. This is where I have Jonathan Taylor, and he was the most common 101 pick last season. Ended up really disappointing fantasy-wise. Finished as the RB18 in points per game. So he rolls his ankle in week four, misses week five and six, returns in week seven and week eight, but is kind of on like a limited workload. Then he misses week nine, also with that ankle injury. Then he starts to kind of put it together, 18.2 points per game over the next four weeks. Then he suffers a high ankle sprain in week 15, which ended his season. I don't expect Jonathan Taylor's uh, injury issues to follow him into 2023. It's not like he had a severe injury that you know he is still rehabbing from. I think the offensive line should be playing at a much higher level than they did in 2022. That unit was kind of just a disaster last season, and I don't think they're going to repeat that. So I feel like Jonathan Taylor is totally in play to put up a similar season to what we saw in 2021, where he was the uh, running back one overall in total points. And I feel like people are kind of down maybe on Anthony Richardson maybe being the week one starter. It seems like probably more than likely at this point that he will be the guy week one. But I don't necessarily view this as like a huge negative for Jonathan Taylor. If this were like a backfield with a Christian McCaffrey or an Austin Eckler type running back, I think it would definitely be a negative. But JT isn't an elite fantasy option because of his pass catching ability. He's an elite option for his dominance on the ground. In 2021, when he had that big season, we saw Jonathan Taylor lead the NFL in rushing yards. And there was also second in yards per carry at five and a half. So it's not like Richardson is going to come in use his legs and take away like a massive target season from Jonathan Taylor. That's just not really how Taylor's going to make his money here. And also you add in the threat of uh, Anthony Richardson's legs. I mean, JT could put up crazy efficiency. I would not be surprised if he uh, broke six yards per carry this year. So I'm still very in on Jonathan Taylor in my tier two. Now the second and final player in tier two is going to be Saquon Barkley. And overall, he actually had a pretty interesting 2022 season. I would say that like before the season, if you told me that Saquon Barkley would have an 80% opportunity share, the fourth most carries and sixth most targets in the NFL, I would have been pretty confident that he gave you like a 20 plus point per game season. Ended up being the RB5 in points per game at 17.8. 
For me, at least, the glaring issue from Saquon was the receiving production. With the Giants wide receiver room kind of just being a total disaster, Saquon only recording 338 receiving yards in a season where I think he played 16 out of 17 games, like that is very underwhelming. His target share was solid at 17.2, but the efficiency was just not there. He was 28th in yards per reception and then uh, 22nd in yards per route run. And I do know there's the argument out there that like the Giants pass catchers were so bad. Saquon was the only guy they had to key in on. So they were kind of able to lock him down a little bit. I think it makes sense. Like I do think the argument is logical. I just think it's something we need to watch out for a little bit. You would have liked to see him at least kind of like volume his way to more touches like Austin Eckler did in those games without Mike Williams or uh, Keenan Allen. But I also think with the offensive uh, upgrades the Giants have made year two under Brian Dable as head coach, I do think Saquon can make a jump here. And I think he's a uh, solid pick here as my RB5. Now we are going to be jumping into probably the most interesting tier in this video, tier three. It's a very large tier and it starts off with Nick Chubb here as my running back six. And to be totally honest, like I've totally faded Nick Chubb over the last two seasons. This year, I am very, very interested here in him as like a mid-tier RB1. And me fading Nick Chubb the last two years, like it was never a talent issue. It was just kind of an issue I had with his role on that Browns offense. When Chubb was sharing a backfield with Kareem Hunt, he had zero receiving upside and was also kind of capped in his workload on the ground. If you're a running back and you're not catching passes, you're going to need like a 20-ish carry per game workload to have that high-end RB1 upside. And I just didn't see that with Nick Chubb. So I was not willing to spend like a RB6 to RB10 pick on Nick Chubb if I didn't think he had that elite upside. Because at the running back position, I do like to shoot for that upside. But now here in 2023, Kareem Hunt is no longer on the roster and the Browns have really done nothing to like bring in another option to compete with Nick Chubb and not like compete for the starting job, but like fill some sort of role, like maybe take some early down touches or take the third down work. Like they haven't added a pass catching back. So I don't love the idea of like banking on a running back catching passes when they haven't really done it throughout their NFL career, but it's not like Nick Chubb needs to put together a 60 reception season. I kind of feel like Nick Chubb just needs to give you what Jonathan Taylor gave you in 2021, where he dominated on the ground and then added 40 receptions for 360 yards. Like, I feel like that's really in play here for Nick Chubb, especially with the fact that the running back room is completely wide open. He could take on a bigger role this season. And so I'm willing to spend a mid-tier running back one pick on him because I do think he has this new upside as a potential pass catcher. And even if he doesn't end up getting that role, we know that he'll still finish somewhere probably in like the top 10 at the running back position. So even if he doesn't get that, it's not like he's going to fall off a cliff and be an RB2. He can still be an RB1 in this offense. Now sticking in tier three, my RB7 is going to be Tony Pollard. And I could honestly go back and forth on Tony Pollard and Nick Chubb here. It's really hard for me to put Tony Pollard any lower than this at running back seven. We're looking at the guy who was the RB9 in points per game last season on only a 48% opportunity share that was 34th in the NFL. He basically had like a high-end backups workload and turned it into a top 10 running back season. With Ezekiel Elliott gone, Pollard is now the clear running back one on this depth chart. I don't think he's going to come out and turn that like sub 50% opportunity share into like 75 plus. I don't think he's going to be that guy, but I also feel like there's this narrative that like Tony Pollard is somehow this super frail running back. He can't handle a workload. And while I don't think the Cowboys want to like force feed this dude 
300 carries a game, or sorry, 300 carries over an entire season. He's not small for the position. The dude's six foot two ten. Like that's not obviously like a Derrick Henry or a Ramondre Stevenson, but that's totally fine for you know a decent three down workload. Pollard is also going to make his money just being wildly efficient over his opportunities. Look back to last season. He was second in yards per reception, fourth in yards per out run, fifth in yards per touch, fourth in breakaway run rate, and then averaged 5.2 yards per carry. If we can see Pollard get like a 60 plus percent opportunity share, I feel like he could comfortably finish as a mid-tier running back one and then also push for a high-end running back one season. So that's why I like him here as my RB7. Now, my RB8, some people are probably not going to like this. I have Brees Hall, and I actually think I had to move him down to get him here, also in Tier 3. And I feel like I've talked about this a few times. The bet on Brees Hall is pretty much a bet on his ACL recovery, because I think without the ACL tear, if we let that uh, Brees Hall 2022 season kind of finish up, I think he's probably in Tier 1 this season, somewhere in like the CMC, Bijan Robinson, Austin Eckler mix. But from what we know with this ACL tear for Brees Hall, this is pretty much like a best case scenario all around if we're talking about an ACL tear. It was a pretty clean tear. This is not like the J.K. Dobbins situation where he tore his ACL, LCL, meniscus, hamstring. Like he didn't blow out everything in the knee. I feel like people are still traumatized about the uh, J.K. Dobbins situation last year. Brees Hall is also only 23 years old, so very young. And then also a top-tier NFL athlete, not just a top-tier athlete because he's in the NFL, of NFL running backs, he is close to the top in terms of athleticism. And then all the reports we have seen have him on track to return here in week one. So I think we're probably going to be expecting a somewhat limited workload in like the first quarter of the season, working back to like 100%, probably through like, you know, the halfway point of the NFL season. But then I truly do believe we could be getting high-end RB1 production from Brees Hall in the second half of the season, and you're going to be able to draft him as like a back-end RB1. And even when we look back to last season, remember early on, Brees Hall wasn't like guaranteed the starting job. It was still somewhat of a split. Hall played 50% of the snaps or fewer in four of those uh, first seven games. In those games, he scored 10.1, 13, uh, 15.2, and then 13.2 PPR points. So nothing crazy, but he can still give you startable options, you know, even early on in the season if his uh, role is limited. Then obviously in the three games he started as the RB1, dominated at 21.2 points per game. You also bring in Aaron Rodgers, just raising the ceiling of that offense. I'm going to have a lot of shares of uh, Brees Hall this season. And I also think if we're getting closer to week one and we're hearing Brees Hall has not had a setback, he's looking good to go, I honestly wouldn't rule out me moving him up. I may not have to because you can probably still draft him at this RB8 price, but something I'll definitely consider throughout the rest of the offseason. Now, my RB9, also in Tier 3, is going to be Josh Jacobs. We have him coming off of the best season of his career, was the running back three at 19.3 points per game. And I feel like if you're drafting Josh Jacobs, you're basically hoping he can kind of replicate that season last year. It's tough to see him improving on a year where he led the NFL in opportunity share and rushing yards. Like maybe you could get a boom in the touchdown department. I think he scored 12 last season, maybe 10. Um, But it's probably going to be tough to get that boom in this Raiders offense, which is obviously not looking great here in 2023. I just think he's a very solid pick at like the 2-3 turn. Um, you know, still kind of in his physical prime, should shoulder a huge workload once again, which is going to lead to solid production. Now, my RB10 is going to be Derrick Henry. 
I know this is probably gonna be too low for some of you guys out there. I know Derrick Henry has a very, very uh, loyal fan base. This is just a really, really strong and deep tier. I think it's very tough to kind of differentiate some of these guys. And I do think that if Derrick Henry doesn't regress, he's very likely to finish above the top 10. Like I feel like a lot of these guys, especially the dudes at the back end of this tier, since these guys are pretty interchangeable, I feel like the dudes at the back end have a great shot of kind of outperforming their ranking here. Derrick Henry has averaged 18.9 plus PPR points per game in each of the last four seasons. Just the main concern here I have for Derrick Henry, and it's something that I don't have for any player ahead of him, is just the tread on his tires. Derrick Henry has 1,877 career touches, uh, which is first among active running backs. He's 174 touches ahead of the number two, who is uh, Latavius Murray, who's obviously like not in his prime. So I'm not saying that Derrick Henry is going to fall off a cliff here, but I do think there's a possibility that he regresses. And if he regresses, we're probably looking at like a really inefficient volume option on a not great offense. So that's why I'd rather be taking guys like Chubb and Pollard who have been solid mid-tier RB1s, but now have improvements in their offense. I'd rather take a guy like Josh Jacobs who uh, you know actually outproduced Derrick Henry last year and I don't think has that risk. So I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying Derrick Henry is going to fall off, but I just think it's a possibility we have to consider. It's not really available for some of these other guys. I kind of think it's similar to uh, Cooper Cup at the wide receiver position, where it's like, if Cooper Cup doesn't regress at all, you probably would be considering taking him over Jefferson and Chase. But just the fact that Jefferson and Chase are younger, Cooper Cup, I believe he's 30 years old or going to be 30 this season, coming off an injury, it's like you don't really want to pick Cooper Cup over Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, maybe even Tyree Kill. Kind of a similar situation here. But now moving into my running back 11, uh, the second to last guy here in tier three, It's going to be Ramondre Stevenson, and he's another guy where I could definitely see an argument for Ramondre being ranked higher. Like I said with Derrick Henry, it's just a very, very strong tier. Ramondre's coming off a season where he finished as the running back 11 in points per game. This offseason was also great for Ramondre. Damian Harris uh, left for the Bills, and then the Patriots didn't add to the running back position in the draft. In 2022, we saw Ramondre play a large role in the receiving game, 5.2 targets per game, had the fourth highest target share in the NFL. And with Damian Harris gone, it's hard to imagine that he doesn't see an increase in his 12.4 carries per game from last season. I kind of feel like there's just one glaring problem here. And it's not fair to Ramondre, but it's Bill Belichick and the way he operates his running back room. Like everything we see here, everything I just laid out, the competition is gone. He was really solid last year. Like everything I laid out tells you that Ramondre Stevenson should be the workhorse of this backfield. But would I be surprised if we go out week one and this backfield is forced into a committee? Like I really wouldn't. And I just don't really know how to handle this ranking here. Like how are you guys feeling about Ramondre? Because I think, like I said, if we have a different coach in here, Ramondre is probably pushing like the Nick Chubb, Tony Pollard territory. But I just don't have any concern that you know, a Josh Jacobs, a Derrick Henry are going to get thrown into a committee. So it's a it's a tough spot because it's like you're you're docking the guy for something that's really out of his control. But I do think it's something we have to consider here. So I want to know your guys' thoughts on Ramondre, a really tough guy to rank for me, probably the dude I'm most uncertain with. Because if he went out and ended up being like a mid to high end RB1, I really would not be surprised. But at the end of the year, also, if we were like, what is going on in this backfield? He's like a mid tier RB2. I also don't think I would be shocked. So, you know, a lot to consider there with Ramondre. But yeah, you know, let me know what you guys think down below. 
Now the final tier three running back, and I do think people may not like this guy in this tier. This is going to be Jameer Gibbs as my uh, 12th overall in tier three. I am very in on Jameer Gibbs, especially when we're looking at PPR and half point PPR formats. I do think that his workload is going to look significantly different from pretty much all the running backs ranked ahead of him, but I don't think that means he can't hang in terms of production. I kind of feel like this Lions backfield is going to be similar to what we saw in Kamara and uh, Christian McCaffrey's rookie seasons, where we had a Kamara-Ingram split, um, and then for the Panthers, we had the CMC-Jonathan Stewart split in that same season. This is going to be a strong offensive line for the Lions. I think this offense is going to be a good unit here in 2023, and I just can't get around the fact that you're drafting a running back at pick 12. You got to use them. Like You don't pick a running back at pick 12 and then give them a super small workload. Like I just don't see it happening. I do think we could be looking at Gibbs getting like an 100 target season if he can stay healthy, um, which I don't think there's any reason why he couldn't, especially because I don't think they're going to be like force feeding him up the middle 20 times a game. I think you're probably going to be able to draft both ETN and Najee before Gibbs. So I think you're also kind of getting him at a value, but I like the receiving upside. I think he can put together an Alvin Kamara-esque rookie season, which gives him that upside of being a high-end running back one. Like we saw Alvin Kamara do it. Obviously, he kind of hit in the touchdown department, but it was on a pretty small workload. I think Jameer Gibbs can do the same thing. I also think even if he doesn't go crazy in touchdowns, he's going to have enough receiving volume where I think he can kind of still come in as a back-end RB1 while also having some of that upside. So that is going to wrap up my Tier 3. Now shifting into Tier 4, I think I have three guys in this tier. The first one is going to be Travis Etienne probably a little bit lower on ETN than consensus because I do have some legitimate concerns when it comes to his receiving work and then also his goal on opportunities. I think some people are kind of pinning Travis Etienne as like this three down workhorse on this great offense. For me, I'm just not really buying into it. Now, I don't really understand why ETN wasn't more involved as a pass catcher last season. I was very high on ETN heading into last season. I thought he was going to have a big role He was a really strong pass catcher in college, caught 85 passes in his uh, last two college seasons combined. So that's really strong production. But then he only manages to command a 7.8% target share, which is not ideal. Then the Jaguars go out. They spend day two draft capital on Tank Bigsby. Now, personally, I view Travis Etienne as the better pass catcher, but who knows how the Jaguars are seeing it. We just saw them not really utilize him in that role last year. They kind of utilized him, but he didn't really produce. Like, It was a combination of things, but maybe they just kind of hand over that role to Tank Bigsby. And then also, even if they don't, like we just saw the Jaguars not really target the running back position. Now with Calvin Ridley coming in, are we expecting them to like force feed the running backs targets? Like probably not. We also saw Travis Etienne was very poor on the goal line last season. Now I do think kind of efficiency like that can kind of flip flop year to year, but maybe the Jaguars are like, we want a different guy to come in and do this. That's kind of like the clear spot where I feel like Tank Bigsby could come in and take over. I understand this is probably sounding uh, pretty negative, but I kind of feel like I have to explain why I probably have him lower than some other people. I'm just not super optimistic that he's going to have this huge workload. Now, if he can kind of have a bounce back in the receiving department, I do think he could put together a very efficient season in this Jaguars offense. It's just going to come down to the workload here. I think he could end up being disappointing, but he could smash this ranking if he does see like some goal line work and a lot of uh, receiving work. Now, moving into the running back 14, this is where I have Najee Harris still in tier four. And through two seasons, I feel like what we've kind of gotten from Najee Harris is that he's going to need some heavy volume to really see a ceiling for fantasy football. 
I've gone through these efficiency numbers a few times, but he's been very inefficient in both of his seasons. 2021, he was 27th yards per reception, 25th in yards per route run, 41st in yards per touch, and then he was also in the negatives for uh, rushing yards over expected. In 2022, he was 30th in yards per reception, 28th in yards per route run, 52nd in yards per touch, had the uh, fifth lowest rushing yards over expected per attempt, and then he's been middle of the pack both seasons per uh, PFF. I do understand the argument that he was banged up last season, that limited his efficiency, but like I just kind of laid out, the efficiency was also the problem the rookie season, so I'm not expecting Najee to come out here in 2023 and just be like an efficiency monster. But in 2021, Najee showed he could have a ceiling. He was the RB6 in points per game at 18.1 carries and five and a half targets per game. Unfortunately, he fell to running back 19 after being drafted in the first round in 2022. He ends up averaging 16 carries and 3.1 targets per game. So if we see that workload fall off, it's going to be tough for him to kind of put together an RB1 season. My view on this is that I do think Jalen Warren is going to be involved. Just the fact that he was the more efficient option last season, I don't see the Steelers turning around and then just force feeding Najee Harris when we had a guy, you know, actually operate more efficiently last season. So I feel like maybe the workload is somewhere between 2021 and 2022, but I would kind of lean more towards that 2022 workload which I do think kind of caps his upside here. So I think some people are going to draft him really expecting a monster uh, kind of workload. Personally, I'm not buying in, but I do think the fact that the possibility is there, maybe he gets healthy, the efficiency at least bumps up kind of closer to league average, then he could end up kind of paying off here at this uh, running back 14 price. Now the final running back in tier four is going to be Joe Mixon. And I was really going back and forth between tier four and tier five. And it really just comes down to the threat of a suspension. If there was no like potential suspension for Joe Mixon, he would be somewhere in tier three. Mixon was actually the running back six in points per game last season. The efficiency on the ground was uh, not great, but his role as a pass catcher like kind of expanded, which was really nice to see. He had the seventh highest target share in the NFL, 11th in uh, yards per route run, and then seven in total targets. And we really just kind of have to look at this Bengals running back room because there's just a complete lack of competition. It looks like the Bengals are just ready to feed Joe Mixon once again. The current running back two on the depth chart is fifth round rookie Chase Brown. So a lot of this just comes down to the suspension. Like if Mixon gets hit with a six game suspension, then he should probably be somewhere in tier five. But if he doesn't get suspended, like you're drafting a guy running back 15 that you could probably rank somewhere in the top 10 if you wanted to. I know tier three is kind of tough to break into, but I think you could make an argument for it on this Bengals offense. It's also interesting that if this suspension is potentially looming, the Bengals seem to have like no concern for it. Like if they're, if they are not expecting a suspension, it kind of makes sense. The fact that they don't have anyone else in their running back room, maybe they go out and they get one of the veterans like a Fournette Kareem Hunt. I feel like a lot of those uh, kind of veteran running backs are just like lurking in free agency to kind of ruin some of these fantasy values, but just something we'll have to monitor. If they don't make any additions, then Joe Mixon could be feasting here in uh, 2023. Now moving into tier five, going to start it off with J.K. Dobbins, who I have as running back 16. I'm very in on J.K. Dobbins this season. I feel like he's being drafted pretty close to his floor in fantasy and like straight up, his 2022 season was a disaster for fantasy. He misses all of 2021 after pretty much blowing out like everything in his knee. 
Um, like earlier, I was talking about Brees Hall, how he had a clean ACL tear. J.K. Dobbins was what I was mentioned, like the ACL, LCL. I think it was like meniscus, and I think the hamstring might have been thrown in there also. So he misses all of 2021. He's still not fully recovered heading into 2022. He misses the first two games of the season. He plays in week three through six, but only has one game over 10 carries. Then he has to have another surgery to clean up his knee and is out until week 14. But then after returning, he was super productive. And he also clearly wasn't like 100%. If you guys remember, there were like games where he was breaking off these breakaway runs. And it was like he was hobbling, but still managed to like outrun the defense. It was kind of wild. But in those last five games, I think four of those were regular season. One was the playoff game. He rushed for 459 yards on 70 carries. That is 6.6 yards per carry. So he was still not being given a huge workload, but was wildly efficient and arguably not at a 100% health. I don't even think arguably, like I just don't think he was a 100%. So I'm pretty confident here that now what, two years removed from that ACL tear, he's gonna be pretty much close to 100%. I think he's back to being a wildly efficient pure runner on the ground. And I feel like that kind of role alone on this Ravens offense warrants him being a mid-tier RB2. But like, are we so confident that his workload is just going to be what we've kind of seen in the last few years? Because we know that Greg Roman loved using like the Dobbins-Gus Edwards committee, which pretty much formed like a three-man running back committee when you have Lamar Jackson also, you know, taking a lot of uh, carries and red zone opportunities. What if new offensive coordinator Todd Munkin is willing to kind of expand J.K. Dobbins' role? Dobbins in the NFL has pretty much been a non-factor as a pass catcher. But in all three of his college seasons, he had 20 plus receptions. So that is in his skill set. Obviously, I don't think he's going to put together a monster season, you know, with a mobile quarterback. But like I talked about with Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor, you just need to hit some level to give you some sort of upside, especially if you can feast on the ground. So I do think there are reasonable pathways for J.K. Dobbins to improve on his role in this offense. And I just don't think those are being super factored into his current ADP. Now, uh, the second and I believe final tier five running back is going to be Aaron Jones here as my running back 17. He's just been a super consistent option since uh, 2018. He's averaged uh, at least 14.3 points per game in that stretch. Like I said, just feels like a safe option here heading into the season, likely to be a mid to high end RB2. I just don't know about the upside here for Aaron Jones. Last season, he saw a 54% opportunity share to AJ Dillon's 44%. With the departure of Aaron Rodgers, I feel like if the split sticks, I struggle to see him being like a top 10 option. As a player, I really do love Aaron Jones, and I think he's going to be a super safe week-to-week option. He's probably not going to disappoint at his value. I don't know if he's going to blow you away, but I just feel like RB17 is kind of a fair spot here. Now, moving into Tier 6, I think this is just going to be a two-man tier. I'm going to start it off with Damian Pierce here as my running back 18. And personally, I typically don't like investing in like these overachieving day three picks, but I actually do think Pierce is very interesting this season. I think he proved he's a very talented player his rookie season. Now, I don't think that's also enough to like warrant him being a super high pick this year because we saw James Robinson prove that he was super talented, Elijah Mitchell, but those guys also had guys come in kind of through the draft. 
So Damian Pierce has kind of passed that point where the uh, Texans didn't invest in the position in the draft. He rushed for 939 yards in just 13 games while also being on that terrible Texans offense. He was also way more efficient than any running back on the team. Obviously, the other running backs in that backfield weren't exactly studs, but we had Pierce at 4.3 yards per carry. We had Dari at 2.9, Freeman at 2.9, Burkhead at 3.1. So he was like 1.2 yards per carry better than the next best guy in that backfield. And I've heard some people talking about a committee here with Devin Singletary. Is it possible this is a committee? Sure. But I feel like if you believe, like if you personally believe that Damian Pierce is a good NFL running back, Singletary is not someone who should be taking a significant amount of work away from Damian Pierce. Like Devin Singletary is not some sort of world beater. He's pretty much just like an average NFL running back would probably be a backup on almost every NFL team. So in my opinion, like if you're expecting a significant workload out of Devin Singletary, that just means you don't believe in Damian Pierce, which is fine. Like if you don't think Damian Pierce is that great, then it makes sense to fade him, expect a, uh, you know, kind of committee here. But if you are a believer in Damian Pierce, I just wouldn't be super concerned about Devin Singletary. So I think as a mid-tier RB2, I do think Damian Pierce is kind of interesting here. And then the second tier six guy is going to be Kenneth Walker. And I'm very out on Kenneth Walker. I'm probably much lower than consensus. On underdog, he's being drafted as the running back 15 and an early fifth round pick. I can't even get close to getting there on that type of value for Kenneth Walker. I just feel like bringing in Zach Charbonnet just zaps any kind of ceiling Kenneth Walker could have had. Like we want to look at the guys I have ahead. Damian Pierce, maybe his role isn't locked up, but could he see a three down workload on this offense? Sure. Aaron Jones, I think, has just proven he's super consistent. J.K. Dobbins, we can kind of see the upside. Joe Mixon, obviously, kind of should be firmly ahead of Walker, in my opinion. But looking at Kenneth Walker here, with Zach Charbonnet coming in, there's no chance Walker is uh, seeing consistent receiving work. He didn't see it in college, so we probably shouldn't have been expecting him to uh, see it in the NFL. He was did it a little bit last year, You know, caught 27 passes in 15 games. We have seen Zach Charbonnet catch 61 total passes in his last two college seasons. So that's going to be Charbonnet's job. That seems pretty much locked up. Kenneth Walker last year was really bad on the goal line, like very inefficient, not converting those opportunities. Charbonnet is stepping in as the bigger back, six foot, 214. So I will also not be surprised if he took over that role. Now we're looking at Kenneth Walker as like an early down grinder with limited touchdown upside. It is going to be a good offense, so he'll probably be efficient. But this is also an offense that just invested in JSN and a guy who can also catch passes out of the backfield in Zach Charbonnet. So maybe they're also going more pass heavy. I just have a hard time getting excited, you know, and getting that high about that type of role for a running back who I think is probably going to be like a back end RB2 when we're looking back on it. Now I'm going to be moving into the final tier here. It's tier seven. And honestly, I feel like this is where stuff kind of gets really gross. And I think there are probably going to be a couple guys left off here that people think should be in here. For me, this is kind of just like a crapshoot territory. This is like going to be the spot in uh, when you're drafting on like an ESPN Yahoo platform where you're probably just going to be trying to, you know, completely fade this area because all these dudes are going to be super pushed up most likely in terms of ADP. But we're going to start this tier off with Miles Sanders here as my RB20. And I feel like there are going to be some people who are buying into the Miles Sanders hype. They might want him up in like the tier six, maybe even the tier five area. I just can't get there. I know there have been a lot of reports about, oh, Sanders is going to have this big workload. He's going to have the three down roll. He's going to be super involved as a pass catcher. There's this perception that Miles Sanders is like this really good pass catcher. 
he has not proven it. He was really good as a rookie, fourth in yards per reception, 17th in yards per outrun, which even like that 17th number isn't great. Fourth in yards per reception is solid. But since then, he has not been a good pass catcher. He has been outside the top 20 in both of those categories over the last three seasons. Last season, he had an abysmal 0.36 yards per route run. So this is not like some sort of great pass catching back who like is guaranteed this role. I think this Panthers offense is probably going to be pretty rough. So Sanders may be able to get a decent workload, but even if he does, I feel like the ceiling is probably capped. So I'm just not going to be kind of biting on the bait here of like a Miles Sanders workhorse season where there's just like, if one thing goes wrong, right? Like he loses some receiving work, he loses some early down work. It's just tough to see him kind of giving you anything better than like low end RB2 production. If like one thing falls apart in that workload. RB22, I'm going to be going with Alexander Madison. And I feel like this tier, I might be kind of negative, but I feel like a lot of these guys have some sort of like upside that people are seeing. And I kind of just want to bring it back to reality a little bit. There's been some talk about Alexander Madison just stepping into that Dalvin Cook workload. It's like, okay, Dalvin Cook gets cut. Madison's the next guy up. He's just going to fill in exactly what Dalvin Cook did. And I kind of understand why people are saying that because throughout their career, that is what Alexander Madison has done. When Cook has missed time, he stepped in. He's been an absolute stud. The problem is those games were under a different coaching regime. So I'm not really expecting Madison to just take over that exact same workload. I think we could see guys like Ty Chandler or Dwayne McBride kind of filtering in. I also think the Vikings are totally in play for one of the available veterans. Like this is a team that's going to be pushing for a playoff spot. Kareem Hunt, Fournette. Like this is a spot where those guys could kind of be looking at here. But I think even without the workhorse role, like I'm not totally out on Madison. I think he could still be an RB2 if he is the uh, Vikings leading running back. I'm just not going to be expecting him to be giving you that Delvin Cook workload and finishing as like an RB1. Now my running back 22 is going to be James Conner, probably higher on Conner than consensus. And I honestly think I could argue him higher. Like I think as we get closer to the season, I could argue him over maybe Madison, maybe Miles Sanders. Um, you know, looking at James Conner, I understand he he feels like a gross pick and the wheels kind of could fall off here, but I feel like the volume is just going to end up being there. And I think if we're looking at a guy from this tier who could end up being an RB1, I feel like James Conner is probably the most likely guy. Maybe the guy I have after him, we'll kind of wait and see. But he actually finished as the RB10 last season in points per game. And he wasn't even the workhorse early on in the season due to being banged up. So if we're making the argument like, oh, that was only because Kyler was there, it's just not true. Like actually in the games where Kyler played, that's not where he had his best production. In the uh, six of the last seven games he played in, Kyler was injured. And over those last seven games, James Conner averaged 7.4 carries and 4.9 targets per game. That was 19.8 PPR points per game. We saw the same thing in 2021 when Chase Edmonds went down when he had no competition. Connor averaged 17 carries, 5.2 targets per game with 25.8 points per game. Obviously, that point per game number is crazy. I think he went like absurd in the touchdown production. Those numbers were with Kyler, but I'm more focused on the workload here. It's going to be very tough to disappoint at this uh, ADP if you're getting 17 carries and five targets. Like it's pretty much impossible. So in 2023, that's what you're going to be hoping for, even if it's 15 carries, four targets. He's still probably paying off at this price. The current running back two and running back three on the step chart are Keontae Ingram and uh, Corey Clement. If that sticks, I do think we could be seeing a a big time fantasy season from James Conner 
even though it feels gross, I do think it could kind of happen again here. Now, my running back 23 is going to be Cam Akers, also in tier seven. And his 2022 season was just an absolute roller coaster. He starts off the season, people are expecting him to kind of have a bounce back coming off the Achilles tear. He starts off week one with a goose egg, zero points. The dude's barely on the field. Then it looked like he was going to be traded early in the season. He was like away from the team. He pretty much did absolutely nothing until week 13. And then in the last four games of the season, he just explodes. He goes for at least 100 scrimmage yards in all four of those games, averages 18.8 carries per game, two and a half targets per game. And heading into 2023 with an offense that's lacking weapons, it'll be interesting if he can kind of expand on his receiving role. I just don't really know what to kind of make from that season because we could see like, all right, he balled out at the end of last year. He's kind of fully back from that Achilles tear. He's going to be good to go in 2023. And while that is possible, it's just a really weird season to digest. Like if Akers somehow wasn't, you know, like the clear running back one, I wouldn't be shocked. So I think he's kind of worth a pick as like a uh, back end RB2, but a situation we'll definitely have to kind of monitor throughout the rest of the offseason. And then to wrap it up here, I ended up going with Rashad White here as a tier seven guy. Like I said uh, early on in the video, I could have gone with a few different options here. Ended up going with Rashad White. The later we get in the offseason and like the less likely it looks that the Buccaneers are bringing in competition, the better Rashad White looks for fantasy. Like I thought the Bucs would bring in a veteran option. It hasn't happened yet. The current running back two and three are Chase Edmonds and Keyshawn Vaughn. Chase Edmonds looked like he fell off an absolute cliff last season and Keyshawn Vaughn hasn't done anything in the NFL. When we're looking at Rashad White's receiving ability, if he can add a solid workload on the ground, I do think he could be a very interesting running back too. Now, before I wrap up this video, I do want to address a couple running backs that I think people probably expect to be on here. The first one being DeAndre Swift. For me, he just kind of misses the cut. I just don't think Swift is a great fit on the Eagles. Like the problem with Swift has been his interior running um, and his skill is obviously his pass catching. The Eagles do not throw to their running backs. They had Miles Sanders last year, who people think is a good receiving back. They also had Kenneth Gainwell, who was a fantastic pass catching back in college. They still don't throw to those guys. So I don't love the fit for Swift. I think he's just on the outside looking in here. Pacheco, I think people are going to want. I don't love the idea of buying a guy who I think is probably going to be in a committee again. Probably going to see McKinnon taking a lot of the receiving work. And then I also think if CEH is healthy, like I don't think it's guaranteed that CEH is just doing nothing and Pacheco is dominating that workload. Delvin Cook, people might like Cook here. I just don't know the landing spot that like locks him in here. Maybe the Dolphins, that's probably like the best spot for him. And he probably would end up being a top 24 guy, but I just kind of want to see where he lands before we make that call. And then also one more thing on like the Rashad White, James Conner thing. These are guys on pretty open depth charts. And I just feel like when we're looking at these veteran running backs, like is a Kareem Hunt, a Leonard Fournette, obviously I know Fournette was with the uh, Buccaneers, but are those guys going to want to go to just like dumpster fire teams this season? Like it feels like if they've got a year or two left, they should be pushing to, you know, go to some of these contenders. So I feel like that's also something we have to consider here on whether or not those guys are actually going to be getting competition. But that is going to wrap it up for my uh, top 24. Let me know what you guys think down below in the comment section. If you stuck around throughout this uh, very long video, I uh, really appreciate it. But thank you guys again, and I will see you in the next one.